Welcome to the Vortex Edge podcast brought to you by firearms instructors who love training, guns, gear, and most importantly, helping shooters of all levels improve their skills and confidence with firearms. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Vortex Edge podcast. Jimmy here and I'm joined by instructor Brennan. We're going to talk pistol stuff. And more specifically, before you really get into the really awesome pistol stuff, we're going to do a very important process and make sure that our pistol and we're assuming that you have followed along with the modern wave and the rest of us by having a red dot on your pistol. So that's kind of that's the running assumption here throughout this episode, making sure that everything is sighted in and properly functioning together. And Brennan, um, the sight-in process for a pistol with a red dot, maybe, maybe it gets overthought, maybe it gets underthought at times. You know, a lot of people are still getting used to the idea of a red dot on a pistol. Right. Where does one start? I mean, first off, just with equipment and things like that, like where do they need to be in order to begin the process of, of shooting? Yeah, so I, I think the first thing that I like to look for is just making sure, like, A, my red dot is mounted correctly, right? Because if it's not mounted correctly, your, your screws are backing out or something like that. <clears throat> when you go to actually zero, uh, you could get, like, some, some wobble or your optic comes loose or something like that. And obviously, you're just chasing kind of yourself, kind of like a dog chasing its own tail. You're not going to get consistent groups. So mounting that up correctly, generally what I look for is uh, looking to the manufacturer of the red dot, what torque specs they recommend, making sure that I like blue lock type my screws, um, things like that. So yeah. just kind of some overall, like it's really boring to break out the manual and see what the manufacturer recommends, but doing that will, you know, set you up for success. Right. Yeah, I think you brought up, you know, for example, like using a little blue Loctite on the screws. It's funny because there's times when in optic mounting we don't like using blue Loctite on screws and then we do like using them. In other instances, one of the areas I, I feel like, it's funny that we're harping on this because you're thinking, well, yeah, I tighten the optic down. I just don't want it to fall off. That's pretty obvious. And yet still we see in classes and in other areas where people's optics fall right off the gun. And you have a few different layers at times, like if you have a Glock MOS or a Smith & Wesson Shield or, you know, any of the other plate, uh, not shield, what is it, what do they call theirs? Core. Uh, yep. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so core, they have a plate system. So you got to tighten the correct plate down to the gun itself, and you don't want that to come loose. And then you have to tighten the optic down to the plate, and you don't want that to come loose from there. So there's a couple of uh, sandwiching items. Do you put... Blue Loctite a little bit on all those fasteners, or is there specific ones? Yeah, so the Glock MOS system works like that. So the screw, the, the plate actually screws down into the slide itself, and then the optic screws into the plate, and it's not actually directly tapping into the slide. Okay. Uh, the Smith & Wesson um, core kind of platform is a little bit different in that the plate is actually kind of just like a shim, yeah. and then those screws actually tap directly in, so you only oh. do have one set of screws for those. Uh, but like with something like the Glock MOS system, which is their modular optic system, um, I will, <laughs> I I have typically done red Loctite in the past for mm -hmm. the uh, for the mounting plate. Um, I don't think that's necessary, but in my experience, I had those back off a few times where my where my actual optic was was secure to the plate, and then the plate was moving. So. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of up for debate. <clears throat> I really don't like that to move because that's the basis of my of my red dot itself. Um, but you should be just fine with blue. Okay, got it. Um, so yeah, getting that all set up right off the bat is very important. 
Now, when it comes to the shooting, we'll move on to the more exciting stuff. What does somebody? What should somebody's setup look like? I'm talking the target, the distance, stuff like that. When they're when they're starting to zero in, the other the other confusing thing, which I'm sure we'll get to as well, is you know when you look at rifles, you can bore sight them. We can't really do that very easily with a striker fired pistol. Like, what's the plan? Right, right, right. So, couple things I think of note just as you're starting starting out. Right. Um, first of all, when we're zeroing a red dot. I'm going to zero the dot completely independently of my iron sights. Ooh, okay, yes. So my iron sights, uh, everybody thinks that if you buy a gun and it has iron sights on them, that they are necessarily like just dead on, right, from the factory at, uh, generally they assume any given distance they're shooting, right? The thing is with iron sighted pistols, especially the, the iron sights on top, right, like, like a lot of times those are, also zeroed, right? Well, they are zeroed at a certain distance, right? And usually what they're coming from the factory is like 25, 35 yards or something like that. So okay. if you're shooting at 10 yards or 7 yards, right, you might have a hold over or hold under uh, based on those iron sights. So if you're picking something like, hey, I'm going to zero my red dot at 10 yards and I'm just going to slave my dot to my irons, so just drifting the dot over until it's kind of lollipopped on my irons, uh, that's not necessarily going to give you good results, mm -hmm. right? Because you don't know where the iron sights were actually zeroed from, um, and they might be off, right? Iron sights aren't necessarily always on. A lot of guns have adjustable sights, things like that. So it's always good to separate those two things, um, zero the red dot independently of the irons, and then if you want to know where your irons are hitting, uh, turn the red dot off or turn the brightness down and shoot the irons by themselves. Yeah. Figure out where your holds need to be for there. So that's that's the first thing I would say. I'm glad you brought that process. up. There's there's a lot of instances where people get really wrapped up in the term co-witnessing and all that other stuff. I think, you know, co-witnessing, if if your iron sights happen to do it, I think that's cool. But, but we need to really look at the iron sighting system and the red dot sighting system as two completely individual sighting systems and when you start trying to it's almost like when people are trying to use you know MOA and inches at the same time you're trying to use two very different types of measurement systems at the same time same thing if you're trying to use two different aiming systems at the same time together and they're not really meant to be used that way it starts to get all gobbledygook and, and you wind up chasing your tail and getting frustrated exactly exactly um, so there's that, right? Uh, separate the aiming systems. The next thing I'm going to look at is what distance do I want to actually zero my red dot at? Uh, so there are a couple considerations for this. Um, I would say that the most common pistol zero distances would be 10 yards, 15 yards, or 25 yards. Okay. Um, I would equate that to like the, uh, like the 36, the 50, and the 100 yard zero for rifles, right? Um, I'll just cut right to the chase and say that your pistol zero doesn't matter uh, if you can't shoot, <laughs> right? So if you can't if you can't group well or if you can't uh, remember holds and things like that, it really doesn't matter, right? Um, but there are some advantages and disadvantages of the different distances. So okay. um, what I would say is, at 25 yards, you're going to kind of have an overall flatter trajectory, right? So 25 yards is oftentimes kind of the uh, the farther, getting close to that farther limit of what people intend to do with pistols, right? And so anything inside of that, right, you have kind of a diminishing uh, return as far as how much hold over, hold under you need to, you need to apply, right? 
Um, the problem with that is a lot of people can't group well enough at 25 yards right. to get a group to where they can actually dial in that zero and make it really precise. Right. right? So that's where 15 and 10 yard zeros come in. Um, personally, I'm a pretty big fan of the 10 yard zero. So uh, I can group a lot better at 10 yards. I shoot a little bit more consistently at 10. Um, but what I'm looking for is a really small group at 10, right? Yeah. People talk a lot about, yeah, I zero my pistol at 10 yards and then I confirm at 25, right? And what I think a lot of people end up doing is they zero their pistol at 10 and then they go back to 25 and they adjust their zero and now they have this loose zero at 25. It's kind of a not really anything at that point. Right. So like what I would be looking for is, hey, if you zeroed at 10, but you want to see how you're performing at 25, you should be looking for how, uh, what's the difference in my point of aim, point of impact. Um, and also making, uh, make, making corrections for windage. Right? But I'm not going to make corrections for elevation because I'm going to understand that if I have a 10-yard zero at 25 yards, I'm going to be hitting high. So I'm going to need to hold it a little bit low. Um, I have a, a couple targets here. Um, so a lot of times I'll see people uh, zeroing on like a B8 target like this. Um, not necessarily the best zero target because the X-ring is, not, is actually pretty large, especially for 10 yards. Uh, but for 25 yards, it, it's acceptable. Um, with a 10-yard zero for me, if I'm impacting right here, right on the X, right, and I move back to 25 yards, my rounds tend to hit kind of top of the nine ring, okay? Hmm, okay. So for me, I have to hold low at uh, kind of the bottom of the nine ring, and I expect to hit uh, impacting the X ring um, if I do everything correctly. What I would be looking for, though, is at 10 yards, it's, it's, it's much more difficult um, or it's a lot easier to, to kind of keep a tight group. At 25, if I'm seeing some significant spread kind of deviation this way, uh, left and right, with, with my windage, that might be something I might correct because I might not be picking up that error at 10 yards just because of how short of a distance I have. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That little bit of error prolifer proliferates, there's a hell of a word for you, uh, a little bit more over that longer distance. It's funny, I mean, the distance we're talking about, we're talking, 25 is this longer distance. Of course, it's so short. In other circumstances, right? But I think what you're saying totally makes a lot of sense, and and shooting that tight group at ten yards is, I mean that's that's key to everything. It's key to any time that you're sighting in a firearm. You should be trying to shoot as best as you possibly can because anything else that you do after that is not going to be in. Well, it likely won't be in as nice and controlled of an environment. You know, whether it's a competition or you know, in the case of some hunting scenario or in the case of some home defense, concealed carry, tactical scenario, it's not going to be as nice and controlled. So you want to have all the advantage and all the potential accuracy sort of eked out of the system as you possibly can right there. Definitely. But at the same time, I would also encourage people to think about the application of the firearm that they're shooting, right? So if I'm zeroing a precision long gun and I am zeroing, you know, like a, like a bolt gun, right? Uh, I want to have a really, really tight group because if I'm zeroing at 100 yards, when we get to 1,000, obviously that's that group size is going to be magnified, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that that group is really, really small. With pistols, again, I mean, can you shoot pistols past 25 yards? Of course, right? 40, 50, even 100 yards, you can still hit things, right? Uh, but we're not usually as concerned about group size with pistols mm -hmm. as we are with, like, a precision rifle or even, a, even an AR-15, right? So what I'm concerned about more is knowing exactly where I need to hold in order to hit a certain spot, 
more so than can I hit the X-ring every time from every single distance, right? Sure. So pistols, generally, uh, you're either shooting competition with them, perhaps, or you're shooting, um, you know, maybe you carry concealed, or maybe it's a home defense weapon, right? If you've got a difference of a couple of inches, just like you would on, an, on a carbine, um, that is less of a concern to me as far as, hey, I was aiming here and I hit a little bit low based on the distance. Uh, less concerning to me than being able to put the bullets exactly where you want them. So being able to hold your dot where you want it, pull the trigger without moving the sights off of that. If I'm impacting a little bit low, say an inch low, based mm. on uh, based on distance to the target, not as big of a deal as it is with something like precision shooting. Makes right? total sense. At the same time, if I'm not if I'm not confident in the zero of my gun, uh, and I go to shoot something like a USPSA match, uh, that could affect me, right? Shooting a head box at 15 yards, something small the size of a credit card at, at, at 10 yards, right? I might need to know my holds. Um, but it's just something to, t- to take into consideration. Right. It needs to be a good enough group that you can actually deduce something from it. You know, Absolutely. When you're shooting and you're at, you know, e- even if you're the, the kind of shooter where you're maybe newer to shooting pistols or you're still kind of honing in your skills and you're at 10 yards and you're shooting kind of this big, mess that you can't really figure out an average like oh yeah i can see that they're low and and to the to the right or something like that that becomes pretty difficult because that's where you start to lose some of that confidence in well if i make an adjustment did i make the right adjustment which one was a flyer here which one right. was actually uh, you know a good trigger press and and all that stuff and so that's why something like a 10 yard zero can come in really helpful yeah right or, or, or be, be very handy because at 10 yards it might be a little bit easier for you to actually print a good group on paper uh one thing to consider though is like if you're using something like a b8 um, I think the uh, scoring rings on a B8 are fairly large uh, for like a 10-yard zero, right? For a 25-yard zero, if I'm stacking groups of five into the X ring, I'm pretty happy with that personally based on my level of skill. Um, You're also a firearms instructor, Brennan. Uh-huh. You get true, lots of <laughs> true. So, 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 you know, I might be able to practice that more than more than other people, right? Well, see, because I'm not. I'm just it, the guy who interviews the instructors, and I'm thinking to myself, 25 yards, I'm trying to fit everything in the X ring. Even I'm... At, at 25 yards, I would say if your group tends to be like eight ring or bigger that's not a good zero distance for you because you because you might put one here you might put one here you might put one here right and it's just kind of all over i have a hard time adjusting that group based off of something as big as an eight ring on a ba so if we're shrinking that distance down to 10 yards though i still want to keep that into consideration that x ring is still fairly large for 10 for for 10 yards uh depending on your level of skill I wouldn't be happy with just anything kind of close to the X ring at 10 yards uh, being a good zero, right? And that's where that confirming at 25 might come in. Um, But if I'm shooting at 10 yards, I might do something with a slightly different target or slightly modified target where I put a one-inch paster uh, on my target. And so instead of now just holding myself to the X ring, uh, I'm actually shrinking the size of that aiming point by about two-thirds, and now I'm using something a little bit more refined. If I can be stacking them in that paster at 10 yards, slow fire, prepping the trigger, all of that uh, in my favor, then I can be more confident of my zero and where that group is actually printing on paper and hopefully do the math, translate that back to 25, and be printing a... Um, you know, a group that is proportionate mm-hmm. um, to my 10-yard zero. That is one of the nice things. I do like this, and it's also for the visual aspect of it because, like, this B8 doesn't have a white X-ring. It actually has a black X-ring like the 10 and the 9 rings, too. 
And so it just gives you that little more contrast. I don't know what it is with my eyes. I got the I I got LASIK, so I've got laser vision, you know. But at the same time, still, I don't have very good like I can't get contrast super good at distance. Right. So like I can see this white on black really well, or, or this one where that has the white X ring. And it's funny too when you make that even smaller and you give yourself something to focus on that's even smaller than the X ring. I almost feel like that helps me shoot a little bit better group because I'm focused. It's maybe I'm getting into that whole Patriot aim small, miss small thing, you know, maybe I think there might be some truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. Right. And so if we give ourselves a zero target, like, can I zero on this X ring? A hundred percent. Right. I could look at the letter X right in the middle and try to put bullet holes touching that letter. Right. Um, but sometimes it's hard for me to pick that out, and I just start seeing red near-ish the center of the target. Yeah. Not necessarily good enough for a, for a pistol zero. Do you, um, like when it comes to actually shooting, do you prefer, well, I, I'm going to ask you this because well, I've seen you zero a pistol before, so I know you, what you like to do, but like... When you shoot a pistol and when you zero, you're obviously comfortable enough in your fundamentals and things like that where you're just you're you're free freestyling it, right? Mm-hmm. Standing up at yep. 10 yards, presenting the pistol and shooting and you're zeroing that way. Is there ever any reason where somebody say who is maybe newer to shooting pistols, you know, still still kind of working things out? Is there ever a reason where maybe they should try sitting at like a bench of some sort and using a rest for their hand to to try and you know, obviously they want to work those fundamentals and get better, but at least that can get them to the point where, okay, I've got a really solid zero because I'm, I'm helping myself with some of that wobble zone and things like that. I'm eliminating a few variables. I get that good zero, and now I take the training wheels off, and now I'm in a train, but I'm training. Even though maybe I'm not very good yet, I'm at least training with a, a good zero. Is there any uh, advantage to that, or, or do you think that that's too much training wheel? So I think it depends a little bit. I, I think if you are really new and you just need to get your pistol zeroed so that you can train, right? I think that if, if that is the best way or maybe the only way, I should say the only way that you can print a consistent group on paper, um, then that's, that might be a good, a good way for you to do it. However, if you can print a consistent group but it's large, so let's say you can print a group, let's say the size of, you know, maybe maybe yay big, maybe half the size, maybe 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 the size of the ten ring, the right? size of the base of a cupcake. Sure, yeah, that's a that's, gr- a, very that's a great that's a great. Uh, everybody knows what a cupcake size is, right? <laughs> so let's say you have a, a group like that, right, and it's up here. Like I can still make adjustments on that yeah. and bring you down and to the right. Right, so I can still make it a lot closer, and then if you're centering up your group near the middle of the target, that's probably that's probably fine. There might be some micro adjustments in there that you that you would ideally like to make, and you might notice those later as you get better at them. But if you're for the most part pretty centered up with multiple groups, um, I would say that's fine. Hmm. Um, there are some things. There's there's a couple of trains of thought. Some people believe that benching a pistol it would is changes uh, changes enough about the way you would normally shoot a pistol that it doesn't give you an accurate zero. So some like some people believe in shooting uh, only zeroing rifles from the prone. Some people think the bench is just as good. Some things, you know, kind of really nuanced things, right? Yeah, yeah. I say with pistols, uh, you can bench it if you want to. Um, I would just not rely on that. 
to be kind of the measure of whether or not your gun is zeroed. At the end of the day, you still have to be able to point your gun at the target, press the trigger, and get the bullet to go close to where you're aiming. Right, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. So if you can't print a consistent group, sure, bench it maybe. And if you're getting a consistent group that way, that'll give you a way to get kind of a rough zero. Uh, but if you can print consistent groups, even if they're larger, I would say just go ahead and freestyle it. Um, the main thing there is just a good understanding of the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Just being able to like hold the dot still enough, right? Prep that trigger and then just press it really easy. Let the gun recoil. You're not focused on recoil control. You're not focused on speed. You're just letting the gun go off, yeah. right? And if you can do that, I think you can zero. And this is something anyone can do. Yeah, Absolutely. and I, I think in, it's always made me want to tear my hair out, especially as I've hung out down here more when I am talking about, oh, yeah, you know, like, work down at a range, we have these instructors, we put on pistol classes, and the first thing you hear somebody is, oh, I, I suck at shooting with a pistol. And then they've written it off already yep. in their head. They're like, nope, can't do it. And they act like pistol shooting, it, it, it might as well be closing your eyes and throwing a dart at the wall or something like that. But we see people all the time come through our intro to pistol classes, and they are shooting from 7, 10 yards. Just, they're getting hundreds, 10 shots, 10 out of 10, all within the 10 ring. And, and it's really, it's quite impressive what someone can do when they just apply some fundamentals. That's all it takes, yep. you know? And I think it's important perspective to remember as well. Like, it's really easy to get kind of down in the weeds or down the rabbit hole of, of chasing your zero, chasing a perfect group, things like that. I know that happens to me, especially with rifles. I'm like, man, all the rounds weren't touching, and so now I'm <laughs> mad, right? Uh, doesn't have to be that way, especially for pistols. And at the end of the day, man, like, if you are shooting uh, a target like this from 10 yards, 15 yards, and you are keeping them all in that 10 ring, like you're doing really well. Mm -hmm. um, and for pistol applications, for the most part, I have not run into an application yet where uh, being able to stack 10 rounds in the 10 ring at 10 yards is going to be this huge limiter on your performance or your abilities. Right. Now, one thing I think that we see from time to time with people who are zeroing a red dot on a pistol, they run into, they run into a couple of issues. And I think it can be related to some of the stuff we were just talking about with maybe their understanding of the fundamentals and maybe their understanding of, of how to shoot a pistol and all that. Like, for example, say you're shooting a group and you start and you're shooting right-handed shooter shooting really low left. Mm -hmm. And you're adjusting and you're adjusting and you're like, man, this sight that I just slapped on this this pistol is, is way off. And you're adjusting so much you run out of adjustment. The, the red dot literally cannot adjust anymore. So then you have to go online and you have to buy this canned shim that's going to shim your red dot up so that you can get even more adjustment available. And you're, you're doing all this crazy stuff until you can finally actually get it to the point where it's, it's at least approaching the, the X-ring. Mm -hmm. That, I, I think, how often, Brendan, have you seen it where actually legitimately you're running out of adjustment with a red dot on a pistol because of mechanical reasons with the red dot to, to gun matchup. Never. Right. Never, right? So what's interesting about people <laughs> is that... <laughs> there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot to unpack many there. many interesting things about people. <laughs> uh, Right-handed shooter shooting low left, right? Super yeah. common thing. Uh, generally, it is um, 
generally that's caused by people pushing or influencing the gun in a certain way. Uh, what we see a lot in classes, and we have drills that try to kind of work this out for people, um, people just have no idea that they're actually doing that. And so they'll be aiming their gun and be like, yeah, I see my red dot right in the center of the target. Looks good to go. All right. And then something clicks off in their brain to where they go, uh, now I'm just going to stop aiming and I'm going to forget about what, what is going to go on because I have to put all of my energy into thinking about pressing the trigger, right? And their sights will move off target, off of where they were intending to aim. Very last second. And they're, and it's, it's just a, it's a fraction of an instant in time. Their brain kind of shuts off and stops processing that, hey, my sight is no longer where I wanted it to be. And they will influence, sometimes people will influence the gun in exactly the same way every single time, right? Yeah, they're actually remarkably consistent. Remarkably (laughs) consistent. They might have a really tight group because somehow they are pushing that gun in exactly the same way every single time. And so then they go, well, yeah, I have to hold my dot high and right because I always impact low and left. And there's things you can do for that, mixing in dummy rounds, things like that. Dry firing is a good way to, to get rid of that habit. Um, but yeah, it's surprising how consistent someone can be with a mistake Mm -hmm. and think that it's a red dot problem. Um, personally, I have never had a red dot that even remotely ran out of adjustment. I'm not saying it can't happen and you know, maybe you got a lemon or something like that. Maybe it's happened to you, but, but I've never seen that happen, uh, for any of the dots that I have or any of the dots that we run in, in class right. uh, or have seen in class. Well, oftentimes, too, I mean, when you think about the total amount of travel, I'm not going to try and list one off the top of my head because I don't know. There's so many numbers uh, with all the optics that we have. But when you think of the total amount of travel on a red dot, that is a ton. And if you are maxing that out to the point where you need to get a shim to even further add in more adjustment, I mean, you got to realize that either there's something that you should be able to visually see wrong with the gun and optic and the way that they're matched up, or there could be something else going on there because that just that that shouldn't be the case. And so, you know, like, how do you, Brennan? How do you approach that? I know sometimes I've seen you guys where, uh, you know, you're dealing with uh, a, a student. I say dealing with this as though a problem, but you're just interacting. You're interacting with a student who's just seeing that that occur, right? In in our intro to, uh, intro to pistol classes, we actually provide the guns with the red dot on top, and usually, I believe those are those just start out sighted in at that point, right? Yeah. And so the the student seeing that consistent low left, or if they're a lefty, maybe they're seeing consistent low right, perhaps. But they're seeing that consistently pop up, and they're like, "Man, there's you know, there's got to be something going on here." There's there's an element of sometimes you actually have to stick it out and not make adjustments with your optic to really, really, really focus on the fundamentals to actually see maybe if I take a shot and I pay attention, I'm using my my sight to see where that red dot is when the shot breaks. Maybe if I pay attention to that, I might actually see a big change in where my rounds are impacting on the target, and I didn't even touch the sight. A hundred percent, right? So anytime we approach zeroing for any gun, what you'll hear like the edge instructors say a lot is, all right, man, that's a decent group, but I don't want to make any adjustments based off of that group yet because I think it's a little inconsistent, right? Mm -hmm. Or I might have the suspicion maybe they're shooting one of our guns and I know that it's zeroed because I just zeroed it 10 minutes ago. Uh, I might say, you know what? 
yeah, maybe the gun came unzeroed for some reason, but we're gonna we're gonna wait. Let's keep let's keep working through some of these fundamentals and see what happens, right? And uh, a lot of times this happens with with students' guns. They come for pistol one or something, and it's all day, all day. He's shooting left, right? Uh, and then I might, if after a while that hasn't worked out, right? With more practice, I might say, hey, let me see that gun, right? And I'll I'll see it and I'll shoot it and oh my gosh, it is shooting left, right? So then mm-hmm. I might I might make an adjustment for them or, or help them make that adjustment. But usually that is not the case. I would say maybe 2 or 3% of the time yeah. you run into something like that. Yeah. Yeah, the time, I feel like, you know, when, you, when you're dealing with adjusting an optic, it's never something you want to be doing a lot unless you're shooting long range at like a bunch of varying distance targets or something like that. Right. But when we're talking about, you know, a pistol or an AR-15, these things that are kind of meant to be a little more set it and forget it. I get that sometimes, you know, the AR maybe might be another story. But with a pistol, certainly, it's kind of, you want, want wants to be one of those things where you want to be like, yeah, I set it and I forget it. Um, if you're kind of, all right, I just, just got up here, bang, bang, bang. Oh, I don't like that. I'm going to adjust the sight. And then bang, bang, bang. Okay, now I'm going on along the day, and now my rounds seem to be not impacting the same spot anymore. I'm going to adjust it again. You don't want to really be chasing your tail around, always doing adjustments, because there is so much that can happen with that pistol out in front of you, and you have all these different parts of your body that all articulate and can make really tiny little adjustments that would throw it off. It's 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 so important to really work on yourself before you start chasing your tail with all the mechanical pieces. Definitely. I mean, I think the thing to remember is uh, guns, <laughs> if they're from like a reputable manuf- manufacturer, even maybe the ones that aren't, right, are way more accurate than you are. So understanding that the gun as like a machine or a tool does its thing over and over and it, and it does it really well uh, mechanically much more accurate than I could be. Right. And then understanding the way red dots are designed. And if again, if they're mounted correctly, mm-hmm. being solidly attached to that gun. Right. That system in and of itself is a very accurate uh, mechanical system. What's not accurate <laughs> is a human body. Right. Exactly. So so a l- most of the error or the deviation that we see when we shoot uh, is based off of just what we're doing. And that takes a lot of practice to get super consistent. That's what all good shooters are chasing is consistency. For sure. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, One thing, going way back to the mechanical side of things, sorry, we were talking about shooting. Now I'm going to switch gears on you again. But we mentioned mounting the optic to the pistol. We Mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, utilizing, maybe you use a little bit of thread locker or something compound to keep those screws from backing back out. Mounting the red dot to the gun itself there are torque specs as well i think you alluded to this or at least you alluded to making sure that you read the instructions as much as i know many of the listeners out there you're the kind of folks who like to say uh, instructions i don't need them um i've been guilty of that right right those torque specs can be very important just as they are with rifle scopes and i bring this up because you're mentioning how you know this this is a this is a tool this is a machine that we're using in our hands, it's something that's going to be going through recoil and all these things, and so it can oftentimes be the tendency for someone to be like, "Well, if it's going through all that, man, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tighten this thing down until there's no tomorrow. That way, it ain't ever coming loose." That may actually cause issues too. Yes. So, uh, if you are seeing some of these these big inconsistencies, that's what that's what makes zeroing. I I used to think like zeroing was kind of cool, and I still I'm like, oh, yeah, it's necessary, but I it, it always kind of 
I don't love doing it because especially mm-hmm. with a new gun and a new optic because you're like, man, I'm just diving into all these potential variables where, you know, especially if I mount, if I mounted it up myself and I've got this gun, boy, especially if I put the gun together myself, there's so many variables going on. So as long as with the mechanical side, if you if you follow all the instructions, then hopefully you can just have eliminated all those variables before you get to the range. That's that's such a more comfortable feeling when you know the the mechanical side of things is functioning the way that it should. Going back to the part where us, uh, we're more than likely going to be the source of any inaccuracies and things. Um, that can be actually a little comforting. Yeah. Because then you're like, this thing works. Time to work on me. A hundred percent. And that's why I think that's the whole importance of having a good zero to begin with is, hey, I trust this thing. This thing works. So everything that I'm doing at the range working on stuff is literally just working on me and my skills. And the gun's going to do what it's supposed to do. I just have to let it do it. Right. Right. Absolutely. 100%. Is there anything we missed about zeroing a pistol with a red dot the right way? So what I would say um, is there's a thing. So there's there's a thing that we like to use with, with with optics, especially I like to use it called witness marking your screws, right? So anytime I attach hardware to a gun, let's say I attach like a weapon mounted light to a uh, to a rifle or something. I will use like a little paint pen a lot of times to mark on the screw and then on the actual hardware, uh, the mounting hardware itself, uh, where that screw was after I've torqued it to spec. Okay. Um, that way, if I see those those two paint lines offset from each other, I know that my screws have moved. So also a really good way to kind of keep track of your zero is to witness mark your adjustments um, on your red dot itself. Um, some people don't like to do that because it looks kind of funky or you have white paint pen marks on your on your optic. But I do think it's it's smart to do, especially if it's a gun that uh, you rely on for home defense or concealed carry. I think it's a good idea to do. The other thing is keep in mind that different ammos will zero differently. Mm. So you will have point of aim, point of impact shifts depending on a ton of different factors. Uh, uh, bullet weight, uh, the amount of powder in that charge, uh, things like that. So there is there are times when I'll be shooting my competition loads, uh, which is like 150 grain Syntec. So it's, it's a very specific round designed for competition. And then I'll be shooting my defensive ammo, which I shoot gold dot, 124 grain plus P. So it's a spicier round. It's a lighter bullet. Um, those two rounds behave significantly differently. Um, even yeah. at 10 yards, I'm, I'm getting a, a significant difference. And when I say significant, for me, the shift is um, a little bit of elevation. Um, and I would say it's enough to where if I was aiming at an X-ring, it would put me on the edge of the 10 ring, right? Ten wow, yards. okay. So it I'm can glad you brought this be up. fairly specific. So what I like to do is, again, if you have a gun that you train with, Maybe you shoot a lot. Maybe you buy cheap ammo uh, because, honestly, that's that's what everybody's after is the cheapest ammo they can find. But then you have good quality tested defensive ammo in your gun for carrier home defense. I'm going to make two separate witness marks in two different colors on that screw so that I can adjust my zero to my uh, to my range ammo and then readjust it back to my carry ammo. Is that completely necessary? 
I don't think it's completely necessary because even in the case of, you know, the ammo that I was talking about, we're talking about maybe an inch and a half difference, right? And so if you think about like a defensive scenario, inch and a half on a human body, maybe not. At 10 yards. At 10 yards, right? Really probably not that big of a deal. You're probably going to be freaked out enough to be yanking the gun all around and maybe even missing your target completely. So an inch and a half, is is it that big of a deal? Maybe not. Um, but God forbid there's a situation where you do need to make a very precise shot. Um, man, I'd sure want to know that my zero was on. So that's one of those things. It's just a tool. If you want to use it, witness market for the range ammo that you use, witness market for the defensive ammo you use. And if you decide to start over or you change ammos, just get some rubbing alcohol out wipe those marks off and start over. I'm glad you brought that one up. I was I forgot about that because, you know, I I think that's something a lot of people forget about cuz when you talk long range precision, you know, everybody gets all real worked up over the ammo that they're shooting and it has to be super consistent, everything has to be perfect. And then you go you step kind of down to carbines. When I say step down, I'm talking about usually the distance that you're shooting, not that carbines can't shoot far. But you know, and it's kind of like, all right, yeah, now I'm just shooting. I'm training with FMJ. I'm shooting on a 50-yard range and all that stuff. And you kind of start to pay a little less attention to what you're feeding it. And then by the time you're at pistol, you're so close in range, and you're thinking like, man, yeah, all 9 mil is the same. Just feed this anything. I can feed it a party mix in the magazine, and it's, you know, um, there. there's that general sense. But I'm glad you brought that up because um, – it can make a difference, and I would say, like you said, you've kind of taken it to the extreme where you do make those slight tweaks if you're using the gun for, for different purposes with the different ammo, you know, but if you are going to use the gun, if it's primarily a range twin, you're buying Hornady XYZ FMJ ammo, and then you decide for whatever reason, and now I'm going to grab all this bulk ammo and from Federal or something like that, but you're still going to shoot competition with it or something, you may want to just recheck that zero if you're going to do a big old change yep i just do a quick confirmation um and then call it good right the the witness marking is is probably not the move if you shoot a ton of different ammos all the time or you buy ammo in small quantities and things like that uh but for for us generally for like our nine millimeter load that we shoot here we generally shoot a lot of the same type so it makes sense and then i always carry the same defensive ammo the other thing you can do is you can just witness mark where your defensive ammo hits uh, and then just adjust off of that, and then adjust back once once you're uh, once you're done for the day. Makes sense. Yep, I like it. Again, thanks for bringing that up. That was a good one. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot here, but inevitably there may be questions. So you can hit us up in the comments or over on Instagram. All that good stuff. Maybe we'll hear from Brennan again. I actually think that we will because I plan we plan on doing a lot more podcasts, and, and yeah. Brennan does pretty good at these. I think. Unless you guys think otherwise. You should also comment down below comment if you below. think Brennan really did terrible. Um, all right. Anyway, thanks, everybody, though, for watching this one. We appreciate you tuning in to the Vortex Edge podcast. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. That'll do it for this episode of the Vortex Edge podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening as usual. If you like what you heard, be sure to give us a like, comment, or review, depending on the platform you're listening Got a topic you want to hear one of our pro firearms instructors give their opinion on? Be sure to drop those suggestions in the comments on the Vortex Edge YouTube or Instagram pages. That helps us cover exactly what you want to hear relating to training, guns, gear, and improving yourself as a shooter and responsible gun owner in every aspect. And hey, we can have a ton of fun along the way. That's all the better. Thanks again, everyone. See you on the next one.